Welcome to Build Beyond Bricks, the Western Sydney Community Forum podcast. A place to learn, share, connect and explore using analysis and insights to lead and shape the future of communities. Hello and welcome to our platform, which is all about building communities. My name is Claire Babbage from the team at Western Sydney Community Forum. Today is one of our COVID-19 specials where we unpack the impacts on agencies who are at the forefront of supporting people who experience vulnerability and crisis and where we share our ideas, thoughts, tools and experiences so we can support each other in servicing local communities across Greater Western Sydney. Our guest today is Maria Lacerdo from the Women's Cottage in the Hawkesbury Local Government Area. Thanks for joining us today, Maria, and I hope you're having a good week. Thank you, Claire. It's nice to be here. Tell us a little bit about the services that you offer at the Women's Cottage and how COVID-19 has impacted on your service delivery there. Well, the Women's Cottage um, actually has been going for a very long time, about 40 years with a focus on providing often crisis support to vulnerable women and children. So that can be around issues of social isolation, it can be around issues of financial distress or food needs, but also very particularly around domestic violence and other forms of trauma. So how has um, COVID-19 impacted your service delivery? Well, as an essential service, we had to keep providing service. So we didn't have the option of going completely um, offline or to work from home. But we faced an issue, we're in quite a small building. So in terms of being able to do social distancing and keep workers and clients safe, all non-essential staff, so other than the skeleton staff that could do the rosters, they went home to work. And about three of us stayed on to do uh, direct client work, although we did try and do as much as possible over the phone and then bring women in as on a as needed basis. It sounds like that was quite a disruption for you. How did the clients find it? It was just ha- it just had to be ha- it just had to happen really quickly. So we had to work out what was the skeleton staff that was needed, who could be set up at home, and how to make sure that that was done well, and how to make sure clients knew what was happening. So we did that by changing, you know, really obvious stuff like changing our answering machine, but making those opportunities much more conversational. So having a very conversational message on the answering machine about what was happening, kind of having kind of calming messages on our website anywhere we could that was just it's okay we're still here we're just doing things a bit different sounds like you kept the communication up which has proven to be very important during all this hasn't it well it's communication but also from our point of view we're working with women who are often in trauma response so we had to find ways of doing things differently but still keeping that sort of trauma-informed lens on things. I think that's probably what's been one of the biggest both challenges and opportunities. Can you tell people a little bit more about what you did change and what strategies you put in place? So about two-thirds of of our workers, we have a team of eight, nine workers, Uh, about two-thirds moved to working from home. So there was all the obvious of 
setting them up, making sure they had the equipment they needed. Some women lived in remote areas and didn't even have internet, so we had to work that out. The workers that were here, we just had to work out how do we keep everybody safe, how do we set up a registry of who's coming in and out of the building, you know, copious amounts of hand sanitizer and how, and different ways that we could deliver service delivery. So, if, for example, if somebody needed some food assistance, was there a way that we could work that out over the phone and then just bundle up what was needed and leave it on the front doorstep so a woman didn't have to come in if she didn't need other things? Where possible, doing things over the phone, but obviously that's not always possible. Mm. And having to re-look, we, we had a big think about our service criteria is, wasn't necessarily as relevant in a pandemic. So where might we need to look at doing things differently or offering services to women out of the area, for example, mm -hmm. um, where we may not have the same... Like in those very early days before the, the government payments came through, money issues and food issues were the most critical for people. And that was often with families who'd never used services before. So we had to kind of think about how can we be available in a very inviting way to families that never used services before. So we didn't really do much paperwork at all. In the very beginning, if somebody needed something, then we thought, well, that's a COVID need, and we just put it under COVID and just gave them what they needed. So um, what services were might be needed to overseas students who were stuck or what services might be needed to young people including young men who we didn't normally see or women on visas or things like that so we just kind of dropped what our criteria was and looked more at what might be needed in this very strange time I think was one of the things that we had to put a lot of thought into. Did uh, Was there a need for you or your staff to develop some new skills to deliver these new services and in these new ways? Not necessarily new skills, but we had to, I guess we had to drop some automatic pilot and just stay very conscious about if there was a new issue walking through the door, but there wasn't like an automatic answer anymore. So the, the main thing was make it as easy as possible for people to get what they need and then we'll deal with the bumps, you know, behind closed doors later if something came up. So for you, it sounds like it's been very successful, but what are your next steps in this new way of working that everybody's facing? I think for us, we're moving more into as business as usual as we possibly can in the given situation so not relying as much on over the phone um, contact you know encouraging women to come in get having a very seamless or as seamless as possible system for when we when someone does come to the service having to rethink things like you know like if you get someone in and you can do all the um the safety questions and the temperature checking and all of those things but if you find once somebody's in the building that they have a temperature or they have issues and you need to help them get to some sort of testing, if they come up with a positive test, you've got to deep clean the whole building, mm -hmm. which obviously could be quite expensive and problematic. So we thought it was probably better for us to put a bit of money into closing in the front veranda so that we can have all of our testing there. Then if there's a glitch of any kind or somebody does come up as having some sort of health issue, we've only got a very small area outside of the building to clean, to deep clean. So 
things like that. We're just trying to think of how we can best minimise the potential fallout, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not in, in people's funding, is it? Deep cleaning uh, on a regular basis was not necessarily what, what all of our um, NGOs and service providers have and community service providers have been funded for. So you've been able to maintain that personal and contact, but in a way that keeps as much of your building collateral safe as possible, which is great. Well, the building collateral means means continued service operating collateral. So that's kind of where we're at with it. And it's very tricky because for some services who do get some sort of income because of services they're selling or or providing, you know, a fee for service. Some services were able to get their JobKeeper money, but obviously everything we do is for free, so we weren't eligible for that. But we did get, which I think everybody was able to get, the the rebates on the, the PAYG tax. So we've kind of, how do we strategically use that? I mean, in the beginning, we just had to come up with a system of what can that money pay for if everybody goes down. But now we're sort of using it more as a, all right, so it might cost us X amount of $1,000 to close the front veranda, but that will be a cost-effective way if we have to deep clean a very small place twice as opposed to the whole building. It, what it sounds like is you've, you've kept an eye on your resources and as things have changed, as they seem to do almost every day, you've been able to come up with a new plan and a new idea of what to do with the resources that you have and just stick, keep staying agile in this environment, which is, like I said, changeable. Well, yes, it has been very changeable. Initially, it was about, all right, what, what's our kind of, how do we keep running if a staff member or a client tests positive, which means that everybody's got to go into isolation. How do we work that? Things like, well, we'd have to come up with some mobile phones so direct workers could work from home or doing direct phone calls. It was the whole thing about very quickly you got a message from DCJ that people were not allowed to use sick leave uh, unless they were being forced to isolate. So there was all sorts of things about equity and not wanting to have some people use up all of their leave, for example, while others didn't have leave. So... It was kind of worrying about staff initially and then continuity of service delivery and now, you know, the longer term, the longer term issues. Because it doesn't feel like it's going to go away very anytime soon. No, it doesn't, does it? It did for a bit. That was part of the part of the challenge, um, Claire. Was for a while we felt like we it was such overkill, and we were going to all of these extreme lengths, and cases were dropping, and there wasn't you know, and we just had to kind of get over that, and just like we're just going to have to pretend pretend this is absolutely awful and keep going, and now it's kind of feeling a bit absolutely awful again. So, I think that's one of the things we've learned. We just you just have to pick your route and know it's important and keep going, even if it seems like not worry too much about the day-to-day changes out there just have your own kind of um, journey that you're on as a service I think. So what other key suggestions or hints do you have like what have you learned that you want to share with others who are also dealing with that situation? Look there's some almost silly little things really but I can't tell you how good it felt in amongst all of this craziness to get the garden the front garden of the um cottage done (laughs) just keeping up with those normal things that make the place look nice and still have flowers on the table and those sorts of things 
I mm -hmm. found that in the beginning, because we were all a bit hyped as well, we had just bits of paper and notices up everywhere about what to do and what not to do. And realising that that in itself, even if the information is good, is very confusing for people. And, mm -hmm. and if there's too much, people just zone out. So we've really pulled back on um, just very clear but minimal information signage. So everything's really clear. It's in, it's in big writing, but we don't have huge amounts of detail, but we have all of that information ready to give people. And that's just helped it not feel so chaotic for us when we walk in the door, I think. Having, just for me as a manager, having delegating different chunks and roles of the safety planning so that you don't that you don't have to kind of hold it all. So we've got someone who's monitoring signage. We've got a roster for the daily cleaning that with that we do three times a day. We've got someone else who's taking care of some of the building works that need to be, to get done. So just really have that. It's really good to have a monitor for someone who's monitoring the whole thing, but yeah. that someone who's um, taking different chunks of it that's been really helpful checklists of you know just the obvious stuff are really helpful you know like we, we, felt, we felt really daunted because as an information and resource center for women we've got a whole wall of brochures and we thought oh my goodness do we have to take every single one of those brochures down and what are we going to do with them and kind of then we thought we'll just get a very big piece of plastic and cover up the whole thing women can still see what's there and they can still ask for something so it's just that thing of thinking I guess moving past the panic of what, of what are we got to do here to, all right, how can we do this in the least disruptive way, I think. That would be my mantra. How mm -hmm. can we do this in the least disruptive way? Yeah. And so it doesn't just suddenly look like an entirely different place. Yeah, like a, like a moonscape, you know, that, mm -hmm. no, that isn't fair for us. That's not a very trauma-informed space because it's kind of desolate for women who are already feeling desolate internally. So we wanted that, it, those were the sorts of things that we thought were important. I know that you have one tip that organizations out there and their work cover responsibilities in line with domestic violence. That for you is something that I know you wanted to share and I was very excited to see information from you about. What, what was that around? It's joined, to, we, the other thing that we've been thinking about here is there's a whole lot of services out there that, that are kind of seeing things that they don't normally see or because there is a lot more domestic violence around. So part of our thinking was to, to develop some best practice or tip sheet type resources for services. But I guess the latest thinking or the latest issue that's come up um, I think it was yesterday or the day before there was a landmark, de landmark decision made for to award workers compensation payments to a family whose mother had been killed at home but because she was in a work situation um, it was deemed as a work cover issue. So mm -hmm. obviously that's a huge issue because there's probably very few businesses or community services that haven't got somebody working from home. And I think probably everybody's done really well at asking the question or having the conversations, do you have an ergonomic chair? Do you have an ergonomic desk? Do you have all the um, equipment that you need to work safely and not put your back out while you're going to work? And do you have your phone and all that sort of thing? 
But I would imagine very few, if anyone, would have asked all of their employees, are you safe at home? Is there anyone at home that might hurt you if we ask you to work from home? And what the law is now saying is that's a required, or that's a liability, a work cover liability, if you don't ask that question. So um, I think we have to go back to the drawing board and rethink if we have people working from home, I guess particularly women, are they safe? How do we have those conversations with women to make sure they're safe? in a way that doesn't put them at further risk. For example, you can't assume that someone isn't watching over a woman's shoulder or monitoring her phone calls. So it's not necessarily going to work if you ask her over the phone or by email this information. You might, if you particularly, if you've got concerns, you might say, can you just pop into work for half an hour? We need to work out some sort of structure around, you know, blah, 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 make something up. And then you have the conversation with her when you know it's safe. And probably just even, well, for community services, making sure that you've got, well, what is your policy around domestic violence in the workplace? Yeah. What is your ethos? What what would be your plan if you found out one of your workers was experiencing domestic violence? So, you know, it's a bit knee bone connected to the thigh bone, but I think that... I'm pleased about the decision that was handed down yesterday because it will bring the issue of domestic violence into a new sphere, into a sphere that will cost businesses money if they don't deal with it properly. And I think it just might help overall address at least to raise awareness and maybe conversation. I guess that would be our hope. And we're, we're working on some resources at the moment to try and help community services and businesses do that. Where would they be available when they're ready? I would, I can make sure that Western Sydney Community Forum has available the resources that we've already done. And then I can also then just make sure that the new ones get sent through as they're available. Fantastic. Because we will have notes on this podcast where we will be able to give people links or information uh, about that. So let's have a conversation at the end, Maria, and see what we can do to get get something uh, available for people because it sounds like you're doing a great job with it. And this is new, a new development that maybe people haven't thought about. And like you said, we all thought that maybe um, we were coming out of lockdown and people are going to be coming back to work, but it looks like that might take longer than we initially thought. So this, that question of are you safe at home hasn't gone away, isn't going to go away most likely for a while. Well, that's true. And I guess it pushes us all, which I think is a good thing because perhaps we should be thinking about that question, are you safe at home, whether or not we're paying someone to work from home or not. But at least this way, it, it pushes it into the realm of obvious importance, I guess, that wasn't there before. Well, thank you, Maria. I'm really pleased that we finished on that note, because it's always good to have like very up-to-date conversations and talking about things that are changing from from the perspective of a service that is a specialist in that so thank you very much for sharing that idea and for being generous enough to share those resources through western sydney community forum and we will make sure that we get those is there anything else that you wanted to share maria before we finish there was just one thing that's something that we've just sort of dealt with at the moment of just thinking a little bit further out particularly when dealing with vulnerable people is what will you do what will happen if some if somebody comes to your service that does have a temperature or 
does have a cough or any of those symptoms. Like it's not going to be enough to say you can't come today because you have those things. You need to know where are the testing clinics? Is that person able to get there? Do you need to pay for a taxi? Is there a safety issue that you need to be monitoring with that person while they're waiting for their test results? Like they're, they're, particularly if we're talking about vulnerable people, we actually have to think a bit further into that COVID testing waiting zone period and how that happens. I'm sure that people do have plans, but like you say, things are changing. And whether we're opening up or testing uh, protocol changes or anything, it's good to have a plan that at least you only have to adjust rather than start from the beginning. Yeah, again. exactly. So, yeah, thank you. So everybody, check out the podcast notes for how to get in touch with Maria. And also we will add in there uh, information about how to get um, some of those resources around having those conversations about safety at home with your staff or maybe volunteers, because we're all working within a bit of a fog right now, a place we've never really been before. We're not certain what to do or how to do it. And none of us have all of the answers, but together I think that we can get most of them. We're bumbling along, hoping we're heading in the right direction. And thanks, Maria, for sharing with us some of the progress, changes and improvements that you've made, even in the time of COVID-19. These are things we will continue to explore with other organisations as part of the COVID-19 specials. Thanks to you for joining us. Please get in touch with your thoughts and questions at any time. Stay well, speak again soon, and goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to Build Beyond Bricks by Western Sydney Community Forum, the region's social development council, providing programs, services, analysis and insights. To learn more, visit us at wscf.org.au.